Infrastructure is crumbling and the problems are only getting worse. The pressure to find solutions is hot. Let's talk about why American cities have no water, no electricity, and no money to fix their infrastructure problems. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast, hosted by Chad Smelter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast. My name is Chad Smelter. I am your host. Today's guest is Trino Pedraza, who is the Director of utility, uh, Public Works and Utilities at the City of Galveston, Galveston, Texas. Thanks for joining me, Trino. Hey, thank you. Thank you for inviting. Appreciate My it. My introductions are a little rough when it's been a little bit since you know, the morning and just getting warmed up, so to speak. But thank you for joining me. How did you get into infrastructure? Where did you start and why did you want to, to get involved in, in public works? Yeah, man. So I, I don't know how this thing really happened, to be honest with you. This was never a career choice for me or a, a, a destined path. I, I, uh, when I got out of high school, I joined the military because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I was in, uh, I was in satellite communications. And when I got out of the military, I struggled so hard to find a job. It just seemed like, a. I was just running into every $9 an hour job during that time. So I ended up putting myself in school and, and I went for, I went for uh, my degree in electronic engineering. Yeah. And then so uh, when I graduated at that time, the, the semiconductor business was booming so hard that the, the different companies were going around to the different colleges and actually recruiting people, testing you, giving you interviews and giving you offers on the spot. Oh, wow. And so, uh, so I went through that process with Intel and I got hired and and so I ended up working the semiconductor industry in Intel in Arizona and it was right in line with my degree. And then uh, so afterwards, 9-11 occurred and uh, when 9-11 occurred shortly after that, it seemed like all the semiconductor industry was uh, was like just just going down. Hmm. A lot of places were laying off like crazy. Intel was trying to offer voluntary layoffs. If they could get enough voluntary layoffs, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, like involuntarily lay people off. Right. Yeah. And they were offering a pretty nice package. So I took the package and I came back home cause I wasn't from Arizona and I'm from San Antonio. So I moved back home and then I, I got into teaching. So I was teaching at the college level for a while. And then I ended up moving into teaching at the high school and I was teaching at a high school at, at an at-risk high school and uh and i was teaching the engineering program and so that that became really my passion i ended up falling in love with it and i thought that's what i wanted to do yeah and and because it was a you know an at-risk high school the the funding you know was not as strong as it is that maybe some of the other districts or whatnot and so at some point they lost some funding and they decided to cut some electives and i was teaching an elective and so uh i ended up receiving a pink slip like an actual pink slip <laughs> it, it came in the mail the day after Christmas. And, you know, I've, I've always heard the term a pink slip. I had never actually seen one before or since, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was very interesting. So at that point, you know, I, I needed a job. I you know, had a wife and kids and whatnot. And so I just started applying for anything and everything in the world. And, and uh, I picked up an interview with San Antonio Water System as a as a senior control instrument tech at their wastewater plant, and they hired me, and that's where it all began. And once I got in there, I just 
I just started like growing with, with the city of San Antonio or San Antonio water systems and yeah. moved up from there. And then eventually there was an opportunity in New Braunfels and it just kept growing and growing. Wow. That's a, yeah. that's a interesting from the military struggling to find a job. You obviously went to school, you got into the Intel semiconductor business and, and then moved out of that and then went to teaching. When you went to school, what was the degree in and what did you focus on there? Yeah, so when I went to school for my undergrad, it was in it was in electronic engineering. I, I thought and you I was in like a techie, and so that's what I wanted to do. And then you know, since like when I got into the the actual industry, the utility industry, I eventually went back and you know I picked up my master's in business administration. Nice. And so I have that now. But yeah, so I, I don't really use my my degree. You know, I mean, I do a lot of technical stuff, and if, if we get new technologies and softwares, I'm all over it. You know, but yeah, yeah I don't really use my I don't design chips anymore. <laughs> right, right. Well, that, that a lot of experience there, though, man. Doing that kind of work, I mean, you're then it, it moves you right into the the soft world where infrastructure is now. It's becoming more tech driven, right? So you right. have the ability to filter through the, the. I'm sure the people coming to your front door with all this cool stuff that they want to sell, <laughs> you know. Right, right. Like, Wait, okay, I know what this does and how it's supposed to work, right? So, um, but going back to the military, what did you do in the military? Yeah. So in the military, I was a satellite communications. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I started off and I was actually RF communications. And then somewhere along the way, they, they changed our MOS which is what they call like our, our job. And I ended up merging into satellite communications as they did that. And that was, that was towards the tail end. So, you know, we would have these remote, these remote vans that were like completely computerized with, with radios and computers and whatnot. And we'd go set up, whether it was radio antennas or or satellite antennas, we'd go set them all up and create this connection with other mobilized vehicles. And essentially what we were was was the was the phone service in the field. That's cool. You know? Yeah, yeah. you know what was really cool about it, what stunk about it was anytime there was a field exercise, we had to be there. It didn't matter who was going out, right? Okay. What was great about it though is when we were in the field, we had access to the telephone. Okay. And all these young soldiers wanted to call home and, you know, call their wife, their girlfriend, the kids, whatever. Right. And, um, and so you would have people at different ranks at much higher ranks, like officers come and, and they'd bargain deals. Hey, if you let me just speak to my wife on the phone for an hour, we'll make sure we get somebody to pull your guard duty. You know, you would have the, the, the mess hall. They, they, somehow have steaks and potatoes and they were like, we got a steak for you, you know, <laughs> it became a bargaining chip. So that was actually pretty cool. That is great. Yeah. Cause you got the hustle of like extra <laughs> benefits of running the telecommunications basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then you, you, it sounds like right there is like the tech where you, you seem like a techie person, you know, obviously with your background from what you just described and then with the military example of like telecommunications, and then uh, putting things to, to where things are now, and we'll get into like infrastructure tech, I'm sure here as we keep going, but to kind of go back to San Antonio water systems, when you got involved there, where did you, uh, what did you learn from just, you know, when you started getting involved in the San Antonio water systems, like what was the positions you had? Like, did you work your way up through there? Because obviously you're a director <clears throat> now. Yeah. So, yeah. So originally, I was a uh, I was a senior control instrument tech, and so I was at the wastewater plant, and I would 
I would uh, program some points into their SCADA system. And then we'd also get like analyzers and antennas set up so that things could communicate and you go in there and you program the spans and, and whatnot. So we, we started off that way. Okay. And, uh, and, and so I did that and it was fine and uh, there was nothing wrong. I was enjoying the position, but then eventually there, there was an opening called a technical planner. And, and what San Antonio was trying to do was to move into a, a, a scheduled plan coordinated effort with all their maintenance activities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, so this was back like in 2007, 2007 ish, I guess. Yeah. And, um, and so that was really interesting. It seemed right in line with a lot of the, you know, the background that I had, or at least the experiences I picked up in school. And so I I put my name in the hat and interviewed, I ended up picking up the position. And so I was fortunate when I received the, the position, I was moved to a different group that was more like downtown San Antonio, uh, with, with a director that was over, you know, water and wastewater and especially the maintenance aspects from the electrical, mechanical and instrumentation side. And, and immediately after receiving the position and starting the, the, um, VP of that area whose name, whose name is Steve Klaus, who then grew to become like their, their great COO, he pulled me because he had a different idea. And I don't think he picked me particular. It was just the position. Yeah. He had his own vision of how he wanted to run it. And so he kind of pulled that back and, and as well as a couple other people. And so we got to talking and it was, it was an opportunity. And, uh, and during the time he shared a vision of what he was wanting to do. And so I just began studying and I started to learn there was this whole different maintenance world that was, you know, reliability centered maintenance uh, where they would do like root cause analysis and predictive maintenance and condition based maintenance and things like that, yeah. uh, reliability centered engineering mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And so as I started to look at it, it just all made sense to me. And I pitched the idea to him as he was soliciting ideas and, and it, it worked for him. So the next thing you know, I, I became their predictive maintenance supervisor and I started working that angle. Okay. At that time, though, my family and I were living in New Braunfels, and so I was doing an hour drive to San Antonio every day. Oof. And I had a friend who, uh, you know, more of a party friend, but he he reached out. And he lived in Austin, and he was like, "Hey, man, does that that utility you work for have any easy job like a meter reader job or something?" <laughs> and I I started laughing, and I looked it up, and uh, and they didn't have any. I said, "You know what? Let me look at the utility in the area that I live in." And so I looked that up and at that time they had a manager of distribution and collection and, uh, and I looked at it and I, so I told them they didn't have anything, but I threw my name in the hat, you know, and, uh, I didn't have any distribution collection experience really, Yeah. but they interviewed me and they took me and it just grew from there. Uh, while, while there I ended up becoming the operations and maintenance manager. And then I became the system control manager. Cause they're also M- uh, NBU, New Braunfels utilities is water, wastewater and the electric utility. Yeah. And so I became the systems control manager and then, um, and then eventually became the director of water, wastewater. That's really cool. Yeah. Did you, did you ever get your buddy a, a position? <laughs> no, no. 
<laughs> he ended up becoming a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, completely. Well, he was looking for the easy job, man. He was. Yeah, well, that's yeah. not easy either. Actually, stay-at-home dad is not easy. So, but, yeah. <laughs> no, there is no easy part about being a stay-at-home dad or mom. You know. So, uh, okay. Wow, that was really great to to understand your background. Who in your family was you know and you know inspirational and in, and in getting you your drive to the passion to do what you do. You know, like um. I'd really say I was so so I would say my grandfather had a big impact in my life and and but really, you know, I was kind of raised by committee, you know, I, I, I kind of followed the stereotype of, you know, you, you know, of a of I, I guess of like a I'm I'm trying to find the words, maybe a you know, of of a of a poor minority, you know, yeah. I was a latchkey kid. I didn't meet my father until I was a junior in high school. That was the very wow. first time I'd seen him. You know, while my mother was pregnant, he he beat her and my family went and oh, wow. put her away. You know, it was that kind of deal. Yeah. My mom, you know, she worked really hard. And so she she would work like three, four part-time jobs just to keep us afloat. Yeah. So while she was out there grinding, you know, I you know, I was uh, I was by myself. So right. my aunts, my uncles my grandparents, like everybody took part in, in raising me and, it, it, you know, everybody did the best they could and they all brought something to the table. I made my fair share of mistakes. I mean, I actually like dropped out of high school and family got me to go back and finish. Yeah. And, uh, and so like, really it, it, if I had to give it to one person, I would, I would say like my grandfather was a huge influence. My mother did everything she could to keep us going. And, and I have mad, I have mad respect for her. I will always have mad respect for her. You know, that wasn't easy. Yeah. And uh, I didn't appreciate it until I was an adult and I, I, I learned what that grind was, you yeah. know? Yeah. But yeah, all my family pitched in one way or another. Yeah. It's amazing what moms can do, man. They just, oh, yeah. you know, to keep things afloat and just, yeah, I grew up kind of similar, you know, getting into trouble and, you know, in elementary school and going into middle school. And I was like heading down the wrong path, you know, very sim similar kind of uh, story. But man, this, you, you kind of left your own chaos when you're young and you're able to run around because <laughs> there's no one there to like always, you know, watch you and things like that so you can get into right. other things real fast so you can go two ways you know the wrong way or the right way <laughs> so yeah you know, right you went the right way we, we both went the right way and here we are so this is awesome so kudos to those moms out there grinding uh hence mother's day just passed too so uh good transition there but uh trina so you obviously went to you know moving up in the manager positions in new brothels uh, yes. and then, uh, worked your way up and then how did the, the whole transition in the Galveston, you know, public works, how did that happen? You know, so while I was at New Braunfels utilities, I, I guess I became the champion of the executive management that was there at the time. Okay. And, and I, and I, I became the doer that would move mountains for them and help execute their vision. And, and they took good care of me. And they protected me and they, they gave me a lot of feedback and, and, and try to grow me at the same time too, though, there's a lot of lessons you learn in life. And I had my own level of arrogance and, and, you know, so some of my peers that I would compete with, you know, we would at times, you know, lock horns, right. right. And, and it, just from a sense of competition, 
right? You, yeah. And you put too many alphas in the room and, <laughs> you know, somebody's going to have to back down. Right. And so That's I true. would lock horns with peers often. And, uh, and, and so my executive management as part of my growth started trying to work with me on, on that, right. They used to describe me as damn the torpedoes full steam ahead. <laughs> and, but they worked with me and eventually I ended up making, you know, connections with a lot of the people I had locked horns with as, as I grew and evolved as a person. And of course my wife weighed in on a lot of this as well. And, um, that's important. <laughs> and then, so as they all retired, they all seemed to retire like together. Right. Okay. And so there was like a whole new set of executives that came in and, and the person that became the CEO um, was a person that I locked horns with a lot. And, and, you know, the, it, it became evident right away that um, I might not be a fit in anymore. And right. so we, you know, we, we parted ways the right way. You know, I, I just saw the writing on the wall and I decided I, it's best if I move on, you know? Yeah. Um, and I did so and, and salvaged relationships, kept the bridge built and whatnot. And, and went on my own path, you know, and and so uh, that was difficult because one of the one of the things is that I had like like my ego was tied to my job, hmm. right? Yeah. And so like when I lost when I when I left that, it was a uh, it was like my complete self identity was was gone, you know, and yeah. it just you know I actually went into like this weird little depression trying to regrow, you know. But but on the flip side, yeah. you know, I I was able to like. You, know, you always talk as a leader that you know it's okay to fail as long as you fail forward and mistakes are fine and you got to grow and you watch all those rocky movies it's not a, it's not a hard you can get hit it's a, it's you know how hard you can get hit and get back up and keep exactly. going with yeah. thing. and so so this was the time that it I, I was faced with that situation i had to get back up and you know and recreate myself and and all the training that a lot of my mentors gave me all, all came into play. Yeah. And that peer network that I still maintain was, was a, a huge help. And, and so at that time I was looking for somewhere else to go and, and, and Galveston was a place that had an opening and I interviewed and it, it just worked out. Yeah. It just really worked out. That's uh, wow. You just about growing, man. That's the, you, you had to pivot, change your career and it was a struggle and a lot of people struggle with that it's hard to jump over the next side of the fence you know to get to that next level and, and an opportunity opened up in galveston it sounds like which yeah. is it's great and that's it. how long you've been in galveston now man so i've been here almost three and a half years i actually started in february of 2020 and then in march of 2020 well covid struck yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah so it was yeah. pretty interesting yeah, then you you had a whole unique set of challenges that I, I, we could probably get into, and then uh, and, oh yeah, you know, that's a that's a whole other thing. But I want to go back to something you said as advice to people because you said you you had to make a change because I'm sure when you're in in New Brussels where you had a system in place that was your system and a process, and then having to make that decision of like stop the 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 you know kind of slamming your head against the wall, so to speak, because you're trying to make changes and someone didn't want to change, but you had to change because you knew you wanted to grow. What advice could you give to people that are in the same struggle? Hey, you know, so it, it was hard for me at the beginning. And I guess everybody has to find like their own path, mm -hmm. right? And, but what it really boils down to is, is soliciting feedback, mm -hmm. not praise, right? There's a difference between praise and feedback. And a lot of people will solicit feedback, but what they're really seeking is praise. Yeah. Right? And when you give them actual feedback, 
you know, they get all bent out of shape. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you have to understand that when you solicit that feedback, you know, it, it, you're you're seeking that information. It doesn't mean you have to agree with it, right? Right. But in every story, there's some truth, yeah. right? In every lie, there's some there's some piece of the truth, and you got to pick out which pieces you might think are right, and then and then go with it from there. Yeah. Um, start trying to like incorporate it. And then as you start doing that, you start to change a little bit. And then the more you start to change, you keep soliciting feedback and you get it from different groups, you know, especially people who have hit the levels of success you, you wish to hit, Yeah, which is important, you know, because vision sharpens vision. And, uh, yep. and so you need that. Right. And so that would be the biggest advice is at some point when you're ready, you need to solicit feedback and then you need to take it to heart. You need to act on it. Right. Yeah. Because it's through that that you actually upgrade your own skills. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's super important. I just had uh, a coach on who does leadership coaching for a city of Aurora, Illinois. And she was telling me about, you know, this 360 program where they get feedback from their peers, you know, that are the, the people they work with and give them feedback. And it's invaluable. The, the change that can happen when you start to look at your blind spot, so to speak. We had those discussions. It's super important. Uh, well, and that was my breakthrough moment. So I, our, our company at New Broncos Utilities had brought over that group, Leadership 360, and, and they worked with, you know, all of all of us managers and whatnot. And um, as we were going through it at that time, I was considering leaving because while while the executive management, you know, was good to me, every time I would apply for a director job, I wouldn't get it. And they would take the time to come back and tell me that it just wasn't your time or this person just had this one deal, but, you know, keep going, keep doing, we're with you. And, yeah. but I, I kept missing the mark. And, and so just personally, I got frustrated with it. And, and, and so I started looking for another job and I was going to move on. Yeah. And so this lady, she's speaking as part of it, and she's sharing the fact that every time she went to a place and she ran into what I was running into, she would leave. And she finally just came across a mentor that uh, that recognized what she was doing and, and told her, like, you know, every time your new car smell runs out, people get to see the real you and your real flaws. Yeah. And when they start to, to work with you on that, that's when you get frustrated and leave. And if you stay here, I'll grow you and whatnot. And that was like my aha moment because I felt like that's what I was going through. And then I went looking for feedback from my peers. And most of my peers were like, oh, no, you're great. Keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, nah, that's not it. So I found the one executive that did not like me. And, and <laughs> that's he, where you start. He, yeah, that's where I started. He ended up uh, becoming like my greatest mentor. He's still a buddy of mine. We just spoke on the phone a week ago. Nice. He, uh, he despised me. He was the one that described me as damn the torpedoes full steam ahead. And and so I had gone to him after going to several others that were telling me, no, you're good. You just keep doing what you're doing. And I walked in his office and I, and I asked him for feedback. And he had this like little, this little grin, this little smirk. And he said, close, close my door, will you? And then he went on and he just let me know everything that he disliked about me. Right. Wow. And so I took the beating, but I was ready for it. And so I took it. And in my head, I didn't agree with everything, but there were some things I did. Yeah. And I said, well, I can work on this and I can work on that. And I started trying to get to work. And I went back to him a second time later on, two or three months later. And, and I asked him like uh, for feedback again. And he gave me the exact same spill, like if it was memorized in his brain. Hmm. I said, okay, 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 well, you already said all that. But I, I started doing this and this and this. Are you saying that you've not recognized anything? And he goes, well, I got to be honest with you. 
I wasn't looking. I didn't think you would ever take anything, right? And ah. from that moment on, he was like, oh, you keep doing it and I'll watch. And okay. he started watching. He started getting involved and getting me connected with other people who would weigh in on my growth. And from there, it just it, it just evolved. That's awesome, man. Great stories. Is, I mean, look, that's stuff people need to hear in this industry, especially because I think in infrastructure, we struggle with those things. Engineers struggle with those things. And people that are in the field, you know, every day, the operators out there, you know, they, they struggle with those things. If they want to grow, you know, if they want to, that's the biggest thing, right? You got to want to do it, want to do it uh, in order to succeed. So uh, going back to San, uh, Galveston, where you're at now and, and what you got going on, you you started in 2020, correct? Right around there? Right. Okay. Right. right in the pandemic's going on and you're, 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 you're basically walking into a whole new city, right? You didn't have a lot of knowledge about what's going on there. Nothing. Oh. Nothing. I, I walked in and um, and and so you know, I mean, the interview and everything was great, and and everybody's been been good to me from day one, right? But on, on my first day of work, the uh, the executive director of HR, who who has moved on with his career, but at the time he, he looked at me after I was already here, yeah, right, and he's like, you know, Trino, if you can make it in Galveston, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, why are you telling me that right now? You know, <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, and, and it just kind of grew from there. What what I just saw was there was a lot of things that that um, there was a lot of low hanging fruit for growth. There was a lot of stuff that needed to be corrected and changed. And, but we seem to have some staff that might be ready for it. And, you know, we just kind of got to work. And I, I guess I was a different animal than they were used to. Yeah. You know, I'm very mobile director. I don't typically just sit in my office and, you know, strategize and look at plans all day. I, I get out a lot. Hands on, man. I, yeah, I, I'm actually uh, out probably more than I need to because then all my work backs up and then I'm doing work at 10 at night at home, you know. Right. And someone else is mad at me at that point. Right. And so, um, <laughs> so like, I, I think it just worked here. I was able to make connections with, with staff right away. Yeah. Uh, they, they appreciated uh, those that wanted to change appreciated the involvement those that didn't well obviously they didn't appreciate it right and uh but we grew from there and then once we had some wins some victories you know they they began to you know become proud of the the work that they were doing and it just got a little bit easier from there that's awesome man that's that's yeah. that's yeah. fantastic i'm sure you hit a lot of resistance and you had to make a lot of changes eventually you know, as you describe it, you're torpedo, right? I mean, that you, you know, you have a you've been in the game for a while in infrastructure, so you kind of had the experience to walk in there and say, "Well, this is what's worked. This is what hasn't worked for me." And here's where we're going to change what we're doing here in Galveston. I would assume is right. what you brought to the table, so to speak. And what has been some of the challenges you're dealing with now? As we, you know, got about ten more minutes of the podcast. What has been some of your challenges with the technology that you're getting hammered with? As I've talked to operators out in the field now, and they're like, te technology is making it worse for them. And I was just curious on what's going on in your end with the transformation. You know, well, some of it, well, there's a lot of technology, right? So you yeah. got to kind of filter through it. You know, some of it just, some of it are, some of it's just junk, right? Yeah. That, and then some of it like has some valid scenarios. It's like for me, I guess because of my technical background, I, I tend to be able to visualize like its use. And if I can visualize it, you know, I'll jump all over it. If I can't, you know, I'll ask, I'll watch, I'll maybe stay back a little bit. Uh, what I typically find as, as 
the issue isn't all the technology that's coming, but it's when you bring the technology in, it's doing something with it. And I think uh -huh. that's where a lot of people drop the ball. We, we bring technology in, we install it, we got data coming in, and nobody's even looking at it, hmm. acting on it, changing any of their processes. Not because they don't want to. Some of it's just because of a lack of training and lack of know-how, right? And so, like, um, I don't know if it's because of my teaching background. When I bring these things in, I sit constantly with staff and I keep bringing it back up over and over and over. And we look at things and we discuss things. And, and you know, it, it's just like a, like a broken record. We just keep doing it and doing it and doing it until I, I feel it's become a habit. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll look at it and I'll start asking questions and I'll know that they're not looking at it because they have that stunned look. And, yeah. and and so we just keep it going. And eventually there's a there's a there's a group of people that will realize, well, he's looking. I better look. Right. Yeah. There's also a group of youngsters that are coming in that are like all over it. Right. Yeah. And, and so they they begin to, you know, really like highlight their skills during those times. And so. You know, for me, it's really just making sure that we're training everybody. And you got to understand just because you delegate something or just because you told somebody, I want you to use it from now on, doesn't mean it's going to happen or it's going to happen effectively, right? Yeah. People pencil whip things. People do the bare minimum just so that they used it, but they didn't really use it. Right. So, you know, if you're going to invest in technology, you, you got to, you know, emerge yourself into the whole thing with them and guide them through and then eventually start to back off and let them run with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's at least my thought. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're spot on is, is, you know, making sure you're there to guide them and making sure they have everything they need to, to utilize the tool that they were given, right. The technology, whatever it is, software, you know, sensors or whatever we have out there these days, it's, it's a quick and trans we're transforming quickly in this digital space that we're heading into where everything's optimized and you, you want to have that data at handy right away, you know, all that information has got to be there. Where do you think we could uh, improve on retention and, and getting more operators to want to get into public works? Is it the technology <laughs> component? Cause I feel like that, like you said, the younger crowd, the younger employees that are coming in want to, want to soak it up. Yeah. I think the technology is a piece, right? Especially if, if, if you can capitalize on some of their modern skills, because they all grew up with a, you know, a cell phone attached to their to their hand, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Literally. So being able to capitalize on those skills helps, but it, it's to, to be honest, it's really the environment. You know, at, at, as as a public servant, you know, we don't pay the best, mm. and, and so you know, I mean, heck, in some cases, like a new employee here you know, makes it somewhere in the $16 an hour range coming in off the streets with no experience. But then you have places like McDonald's paying $18 an hour. And, um, and you know, so you're competing with that. Yeah, you don't even have to right? think. And, yeah. And this is tough physical work. You're out in the elements. You know, you're in the hot. You're in the cold. You're, you're During a hurricane or a disaster, you're out there, right? And and so, you know, the, the one thing that as leaders we need to control is, is the environment. We need to get people involved. Mm. Right. We need to get them. We, we need to get them like talking and thinking. They need to become part of the think tank. Yeah. Right. It could. It, it shouldn't just be me. I, I, I should never be the smartest person in the room or else we're going to be in trouble. Right. It, it needs to be that collaboration between everybody. Right. And sometimes it's your idea. Sometimes it's my idea. And then, you know, 
however it pans out, you know, then you have to give that that positive reinforcement for the job well done and let's keep building on it. I think as you do that, you you create this sense of care for the type of work that we do, you, this realization that they're actually doing something that matters for the public. You know, like when I was at Intel, we were making a chip, right? Okay, well, whoopty, we're making a chip. Right. That's it, right? I mean, here you're actually impacting people's livelihoods. Um, right. They don't have water. The business can't be open. They can't shower. If you're not taking care of the traffic, there could be accidents. If the streets are all messed up, that you're ruining tires and creating like a, you know, just an ugly environment. You yeah. know, if your drainage ain't taken care of, then you're flooding homes. It, it, there's there's a whole lot of aspects to this, and, and so people need to realize like the effort that they do really impacts lives. Does. People don't typically realize it until something bad happens, like a weather catastrophe. But yeah, at the end of the day, that to me, the environment is really it, it, the environment and the culture is really how we're going to grab the the youth. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's, it's exactly nobody wants to get in a manhole and get dirty anymore. So that's uh, <laughs> it's it's hard to find the the people that want to do those type of uh, dirty jobs, so to speak, that we that are out there. And we still have to do them because we still got to clean and maintain our systems, right? Or right. exactly what you said is going to happen. And um, how can uh, you know we're at the end of the podcast, Trino? I, I we could talk for a, I have a bunch more questions, but not enough time. So. How can people get a hold of you and, and what's the best way to reach out? Well, I mean, if you go to um, GalvestonTX.gov, that's our website and under departments, you could find me. And then, I mean, you know, um, my email address is just going to be my first initial last name, T Pedraza at GalvestonTX.gov. And people can email me. They can find me on LinkedIn or on Facebook. Nice. You know, I don't have any crazy alias. It's just Trino. <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty simple i like it yeah yeah That's great well thank you so much man for joining me this has been enlightening and it's been a great conversation and uh you have a great day you too thank you thanks Trino. thank you for listening to the infrastructure hot seat podcast we hope that this show brought you some insight on relevant topics within the infrastructure world Please join us every two weeks on Tuesday for the next episode. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, please set up a 15-minute interview with your host at calendly.com slash chadsmeltzer. 